Morning, good morning. Hello, beautiful black people. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins, and welcome to drboycetv.com, the home for intelligent black people. And today uh, I wanted to uh, actually talk about something and someone that I've never spoken about on this platform. Uh, there's a rapper by the name of Royce the Five Nine. Royce the Five Nine did a video uh, where he was talking about addiction, and I thought it was appropriate given our conversation yesterday about Michael K. Williams and what may or may not have happened with him. And uh, I just really wanted to share this and uh, share a brief, very brief conversation with you about this topic. So get comfortable, buck up your seatbelt. We're going to get started on drboystv.tv.com right now. Here we are, clan the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now, family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick to cold sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn it to intelligence. Please, none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Voice TV. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to DrVoiceTV.com, the home for intelligent black people. Now, a little bit later on today, I am going to hit some more financial stuff. I usually talk about financial stuff in the mornings <clears throat> on the Black Financial Channel. That's TheBlackFinancialChannel.com. Uh, but today, I wanted to actually start off on a slightly different note. And this is actually, to some extent, related to black wealth, just not directly. And this is a very B1 kind of conversation. Uh, B1 means that we are black first. Black first means that we put our community at the top of our priority list. B1 means we solve our own problems. We're not waiting for white people. B1 means that our kids by the year 2070, 2070 is the magic year where our children, B1 children will lead the world in economics and education, uh, development of families, all the things that matter for black people. And also B1 means we understand we must be one to be successful. So, so that means coming together and actually putting together uh, groups and, and, and messages and, and possibilities that come that are created only when you're working together, only when you come together as families and finding common ground. And that's what the B1 philosophy is all about. So uh, if you agree with that, I hope you put a hashtag B in the number one in the chat. That's what we believe in. So let me uh, hop in and uh, talk to you guys about something. Give me a yes or no. How many of you have heard of a rapper called Royce? The five nine Royce D A Royce the five nine. Like there's another one with D A in his name. I forgot what it. Uh, who was it? Um, I forgot. There's another rapper with the 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 baby the baby. Yeah, you had the baby. Which I'm a grown ass man. I ain't trying to be nobody's baby. I'm not no baby. I'm not no little baby. I'm not no little pump. No little Uzi vert. No little nothing. I ain't little. I'm big. If I if I ever create a name, you know, when I was in sixth grade, I swear to God, they asked us to come up with a nickname for ourselves, and they said, "What is your nickname?" I said, "I'm Big Bad Boys." And I said that when I was eleven. So when even when I was eleven, I didn't want to be the baby. So we, you know, I ain't gonna want to be a baby when I'm a grown ass man. But anyway, Royce the five nine. Maybe that means he's five foot nine. I'm five foot eight. So um, shout out to Royce. Good for you for that extra inch. Uh, Royce did a video that somebody sent me. Tierra K.J. Williams, a.k.a. Miss Black Hollywood, who's a great film director out in Los Angeles, shared this video with me. And I want to give a shout out to both of them for really giving me something to think about this morning. So I woke up this morning. I saw this video and I said, you know what? I want to share this video and I want to talk about this video. And I'm going to make it very, very brief. Uh, but there's a very quick little kind of two cents I want to throw in there. So if you allow me to give me a yes, if it's OK, if it's OK, if I do just about two minutes of preaching, just two minutes of preaching, I promise you not self-righteous. You ain't got to do what I tell you. Just me trying to be the OG for a minute, trying to share a perspective based on something I saw. The good Lord told me to share this message. 
message today and I'm going to share it. So give me a yes in the chat if it's okay. If I do, if I show you this quick little video and do about two minutes of preaching, I want to ask your permission. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. All right. So let me share this video. Uh, do me a favor, hit the thumbs up, share, subscribe button while I do that. Um, I put the video up on my Instagram, uh, a clip of it. Uh, you can watch the rest at actually Royce's Instagram page. So I put a link to his page so you can go follow the brother and check him out. He seems very intelligent. And uh, But I, I shared a little piece of it on my Instagram, which is The Real Boyce Watkins, and I, because I was so inspired by what he said, and I thought that what the brother said was worth hearing. So that's why this morning uh, I am talking about Royce the 5'9". I've never talked about him before on this platform, but, you know, hey, I like I like intelligent black people. So, hey, this brother sounds like he's, he's on to something. So let me pull this up, uh, and I'm going to play this video, and uh, here we go. First drink at 21 years old with Doc. I took my first drink at 21 years old with Dr. Dre. He asked me if I wanted a drink, so I just said yeah. But but prior to that, drinking wasn't my thing. So that later became an addiction. And then when we become artists, hip hop artists, I'm talking about black culture. We make records, say other rappers' names in a competitive spirit, and we used to be worried about beef on track spilling over into the streets. Now we worry about street beef spilling over onto tracks because that escalates everything. So I came to the conclusion that we being hired to kill ourselves. We come from all these different places of judgment. We eat all the wrong food. We go to the funerals of the people who died a little bit sooner than us. We pass judgment, we say, oh, y'all wasn't there. Y'all wasn't there for him. Well, he made a choice to become an addict. He ain't have to choose to become an addict. Anybody talking like that about DMX, you don't know shit about addiction. Where the fuck is Puff? Why he ain't helping Black Rob? What's up with Jay-Z? Did he buy the Masters? You don't know shit about Puff. You don't know shit about Jay-Z. You don't know shit about the record business. Me, Charlemagne, Van Lathan. All of us, we tell you you need therapy. You don't want therapy because you don't know shit about therapy. One thing's for sure, two things for certain. It's like we're being hired to fucking kill ourselves. Go to the funeral, we eat the same food at the repast, we put the motherfucker in the casket. To grieve through the process and to get ourselves through that process, we do the same drugs, we drink the same liquor, the same syrup, pop the same pills, all the same shit that we do in the studio. Because we told ourselves that's what we need to create. And we want to make it so bad that we're willing to leave it all in the ring. We're willing to leave it all on the floor. We're willing to put it all on the line. So everybody that like worried about me, that's been worrying about me my whole career, I'm sorry for everything that I put y'all through. All of the strong black women that's been behind me, my wife, my mother, I love y'all. I appreciate y'all. Stop talking shit. Because I don't know shit. Let Black Rob rest. Let DMX rest. Think of something positive to say. Stop saying. If we would have just... How come we wait until people die to start giving them their flowers? Niggas got their flowers. Placing DMX on a higher pedestal than he was already on. If you think that that would have somehow healed him in some type of way. Or you think that he chose addiction or you think that 
somebody could have somehow fixed him. You don't know shit about addiction. But the youngins looking at this, just look at it and learn something from it. You're looking at your future. If you're doing all the same illicit drugs and drinking and all that shit, you're looking at your future. If you're online talking about what you're going to do to a nigga when you see him, talking about who you did something to on a song, you're looking at your future. That's imminent death, my nigga. We ain't here to do nothing to make music. I'm not here for all of the, the extra shit. So, get off Clubhouse for a minute and just do some reflecting. And think about the people that you love. I know all of this shit made me want to be super intentional about the way I do everything. Everything that is right. Super intentional about being a father. Super intentional about being somebody's friend. Super intentional about the way I love somebody. That love is not reciprocated. I'm a cancer. I'm super intentional about how fucked up and hurt I am about it. Rest in peace to Black Rob and DMX. And my prayers and condolences go out to the families. I took my first drink at 21 years old with Dr. Dre. Okay, guys. So um, I'm gonna go ahead and. Um... And uh, and 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 jump in uh, on this. Uh, give me a yes in the in the chat if you were able to hear uh, everything this brother was saying. And um, let me just start off by saying uh, thank you uh, to Rush the Five Nine for making uh, such an eloquent uh, appeal uh, to our young people. Uh, I, I really think that he engaged in what I refer to as OG status. Uh, every study shows. Now pay attention, black people. Every study shows that when you have older males that mentor younger males, those younger males make better decisions than they would have made on their own. That is not just true for human beings. That is true for every mammal in the animal universe. Did y'all know that? That is true for hippos. That is true for elephants. That is true for giraffes. That is true for rhinoceroses. That is true for horses. That is true for lions. That is true for any other mammal out here. When you have the OGs that get the respect from the young bucks, the OGs are the ones who pull the young bucks together. When the young bucks do not have mentorship, this was actually shown uh, when they put uh, a bunch of adolescent elephants on a wildlife reserve that had no fathers. When they put these elephants on a wildlife reserve, pay attention now, without fathers, do you know what they did? The elephants started forming gangs and they started bullying the other animals. They started doing things that were unnatural. They started killing the rhinos and they said, why are these elephants behaving in this unnatural way? We don't understand it. The scientists were baffled. Well, they found out that the reason these elephants were behaving this way is because they had single mamas and no daddies around. Now, this does not mean that, they, that it was their mama's fault. It ain't a matter of going to the mama and saying, well, well, you chose the daddy. What's wrong with you? No, their daddies were killed from poaching because in Africa, they hunt the big, strong male elephants and, and they take their tusks because their tusks are the biggest and the strongest. So a lot of these young adolescent elephants had no daddy because their daddies had been killed. So not only were they fatherless, but they were traumatized. What community does that sound like to you? 
Give me a yeah, give me a yes or no if you know where I'm going with this. Give, give me a yes if you're following the logic of what I'm saying. So the reason that I uh, applaud what Royce just said, I've never met this brother at all. I only know him through a couple of degrees of separation. I, I know probably 50 people that know him, but I never met him. I'd love to meet him one day. I'm sure I will. But that's what you call stepping in and taking OG status. And that is something that they wanted the black community to lose. That's why your gangs in Chicago and Philly and other places are going crazy because the gang leaders were all sent to prison on RICO charges in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. So the OGs are gone. So with that being said, uh, hit the thumbs up button, share, subscribe button. Royce mentioned another important word that makes me want to reference a person that uh, that I've I brought in, into this space before. Um, he mentioned two words in here that were very powerful, very important, that are not mentioned enough in the community. He mentioned addiction and he mentioned therapy, addiction and therapy. And guess what, y'all? I'm the luckiest black man in the world because not only did I marry the sexiest woman I've ever met, but she also happens to be a full professor of social work, a licensed therapist, and an expert on addiction. So uh, I, I like the way he said, if you think that DMX just chose to, to, to stay hooked on drugs, you don't know shit about addiction. Well, you're right. Well, my wife knows a little bit about addiction. And I'd like to ask her if she want to come in and answer a couple of questions or if you want to talk a little bit later. How do you feel? You want to talk a little bit later? Well, maybe talk for a second and then we can then we can do you and I could do a you and I could do a pillow talk a little bit later. But but so so y'all can hear. Her. Give me a yes in the chat if you can hear my wife. So so uh so Alicia, what do you think when so so Royce the five nine is basically uh talking about uh addiction? Let's start with addiction. And now uh, you've taught classes on addiction, you're an expert on addiction. Uh, what is it about addiction that you wish other people would understand? Like, what is it about addiction that you think a lot of people get wrong when we pass judgment either on the addict or a lot of people when DMX died were saying to Puffy, they were saying, well, why weren't you there for Black Rob? And, or why weren't you there? Or, or they were saying to other people, why weren't you there for DMX? Uh, what What is it that you wish people knew about addiction that we don't understand? Well, I mean, I think that, um, well, hello, boys. How you doing? I'm doing good, baby. You look good today. <laughs> I, I missed the first beginning because I was in a, another meeting and I came down here and um, I'm seeing that you're on the screen. This is not our typical pillow talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so I'm bringing you down because you're in like, you're in talk mode. Okay, so, um, so what is it about addiction? Okay, so... I think that um, addiction is something that happens when it, you're covering up something. So what is it that you're masking is the issue. So people turn to addiction because they can't get in contact or they can't connect to their feelings and they just want to just, it's too strong for them. It's too hard for them to connect to what's going on in reality and they need to escape. Mm, okay. And so they turn to addiction. So drugs and alcohol, well, drugs is an addiction that's illegal. Right. So drugs is an addiction that you have that's illegal. Alcohol is legal, but it still can be an addiction. Uh, working those workaholics, people who work all the time, that's an addiction. It can be an addiction, but mm -hmm. it's more acceptable. It's more socially acceptable. So it's all sort food. Food can be an addiction. Whatever it is underneath that is you're trying to escape from reality because it's way too much for you to handle. So why is it, you know, um, I hope y'all can hear What's Alicia. Are y'all give me a yes if you're able to hear Alicia uh, speaking just now. Um, so what is it about addiction? 
you know, when I say, you know, when people say, well, why don't you just stop? Like, why don't you just find, make a choice to walk away? What is it about addiction that grips you? Like when you think about it, like, like a DMX, uh, there are a lot, there's a lot of debate over whether or not it's, um, you know, it's like, okay, just, you know, like stop that. Like just quit doing that just, stuff. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so what is it? Yeah. Cause there, there's a debate, right? There's some people who feel like addiction is a, like a, um, a, a disability. And there are some people who I'm probably in that camp who say, no, no, like it, it's hard, but you can walk away. So what is it about addiction? Maybe to say cocaine or you saw Michael K. Williams. Some people think it might've been heroin, but we don't know that for sure. We don't know that for sure, but it's a possibility. Uh, what is it about their lives and their choices that we should understand to even be able to identify with what they might've been going through? You mean, so what you're saying is that you think that people develop an addiction and that they could just make up their mind and just stop on the spot? No, I'm is saying, what you're saying? I'm, I'm not saying that they should. I'm asking you, what is it about addiction? That What does it do to the brain that causes individuals to become something other than what we think they need to be? Like, why, why, what's going on in the mind that's making them like a slave to this drug? Yeah, well, the thing is, is that if you could stop, if you could just like cold turkey, just stop on your set on your own, there has to be something that you use to replace that because you've turned to addiction as a way of saying, okay, this is my way of coping. So you have to come up with a different coping mechanism. And it's a process. Mm. It's not, it's not typically, there are, have been some people who can just stop cold turkey and never go back to it. Well, that means that's very interesting. I'd like to have a conversation with them about the process and how they do it. There are people who do that, mm. but there are a lot of people that just can't stop. Like they're having a stressed out day. They're having a hard day. And so they turn to this addiction, whatever it is. Shopping addiction is also an addiction, right? Mm. So they turn to whatever it is and it becomes an addiction because it interferes with your life. Mm, okay. you, can't, you can't maintain healthy relationships. You can't go to work every day because you're so busy being involved in the addiction. It over it takes over your life. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, well, you know, I, I think, okay. So another thing that Royce the five nine mentioned <clears throat> that I think is worth hearing is he talked about um, the need for therapy. And he says that uh, a lot of us need therapy and people don't listen. Uh, what is it about therapy that you think can benefit guys? Cause he basically what he said was, I, I mentioned to you in the bathroom that he was saying that, you know, he took his first drink with Dr. Dre when he was 21 years old. Not that he was blaming Dr. Dre. He didn't sound like he was blaming Dr. Dre for his alcohol addiction, but he said, that's where, things kind of went downhill. Okay. So, yeah. so, so what is it about the therapy? Where, where's the therapy part kind of come in? Is it, is it that therapy can help you deal with your addiction to at least identify why the addiction exists and then find ways to walk away? Well, first of all, just because Dr. Dre or anybody else says you're 21, you're at the legal age of drinking. That doesn't mean that everybody who drinks at the age of 21 is going to become addicted. You know, so I don't know if we can put all we can name Dr. Dre as the reason why or anybody else. Right. Yeah, why. we know it's so not. I just Dr. Make right. That, Absolutely. I want to make that clear. I want to make that clear because a lot of people who drink casually and they're never addicted to alcohol. They mm. just drink casual. Like yesterday when we were on the airplane, I had a drink on the airplane. You know, <laughs> like right. that doesn't mean that I'm addicted. I can live a normal life. You know, it doesn't interfere with my life. So it's not something that would be an addiction. So I just want to make that clear because I don't want to make it seem like you take one. No, but I'm saying, what is it about therapy? I want to ask specific, a specific uh -huh. question to you. What is it about therapy that can help us process addiction? Like, what is it? Is well, it like that? That's, that's the question. Yeah. I mean, it all depends 
on the type of addiction. So if you have, um, if it's, first of all, you need to detox. If it's some sort of substance that you're addicted to, you need to put, you need to get into a detox program. There's actual treatment programs to help get that drug out of your system. Detoxing is very painful, especially if you go to like a non-medical detox. Mm. So that's the first thing. Well, before that, you're going to have to, at some point, come to the conclusion or come to the reality that you have an addiction. There's a lot of people with addiction and they don't even want to admit to themselves or to anybody else that they have this addiction. So that's part of it. Have you seen that show Intervention? Mm-mm. That comes on. It comes on television where it's like everybody in your whole family knows that you have an addiction, and so they'll sit there and say, and they have this hard meeting with them. It's a really good show. You should watch it. And so family members will come to them and say, "Listen, I've been enabling you to continue your addiction by loaning you money, by listening to your stories about why you need support or help or these wild stories." Mm-hmm. We think that you have an addiction. So they like confront them. It's called intervention. So you have an intervention. So the thing with addiction, number one, is you have to realize that you are addicted. Mm. And then you have to be called out on it because people in your family, because you have to have friends and family to help pay, give you money because addictions are expensive, typically. So you need, you know, support. So that's the first part of it. And um, and really, your friends and family are affected by it. So mm-hmm. that's usually what really puts someone into a treatment program. Mm-hmm. But you really can't, you re- it to recover from addiction has to be something that you have to do for yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't do it for your family. You can't do it for your friends. You can't do it for your children. You have to realize you yourself have to come to the conclusion that enough is enough and I'm ready to to change. Mm. It can't be anybody else around you making that change for you. So that's the number one thing. Mm. Okay. So, and then once you realize I'm addicted, I need to change. This is not working for me. That's when you're ready for therapy because anything before that, you know, you're not quite ready. And I, and I work with a lot of people in hospitals. So you're saying that the therapy shouldn't come until you decide that you're ready. So you can't go to therapy and then figure out in therapy that you're ready. Like you can't, because it almost seems to me like therapy, I believe everybody can benefit from therapy. I think therapy is something that is like, you know, I, I like what the way Royce to five nine was talking about therapy and he's an advocate for that. Apparently from what I'm seeing here, um, I like that idea of just saying, look, everybody can benefit from therapy. Even if you don't feel like you're totally ready. If you just say, well, look, I'm gonna go to therapy, be open-minded, give it a try because somebody else told me to do it. I think that's okay too. Because may, not, maybe when you're there, you'll then realize why you should be there. It doesn't. You would want it to work that way, but it typically doesn't work that way. And mm. I've had, I've actually had couples um, that I've worked with, and then one person has an addiction, and I'm just like, listen, this relationship may or may not really pan out mm. because this addiction is really getting in the way. I mean, there's other things going on, you know, but the addiction is getting in the way for a couple to proceed with each other. Mm. So I say, you know, you you have really got. At some point, you either choose the alcohol or you choose your marriage, which mm. is it, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, that that sort of thing is really um, problematic, can be problematic because mm. it gets in the way. But, you know, it it you cannot again. I don't th- I know that you're making this point about I'm going to force you into treatment. You can't force nobody into treatment. If mm. that person isn't ready to go. Into well, I'm not. No, no, no. I'm not saying force them. I'm saying, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth. Um, I started therapy because I didn't believe in therapy when I started it. I didn't. I, I thought, okay, this is corny. This is some liberal BS. 
you know, some of it might work, but a lot of it's kind of silly. And I got into therapy. And then I, as I was in it, I started saying, okay, this is actually pretty good. So I was persuaded of the value of therapy by being in therapy. I didn't need to understand it before I went in. Right. And that's what I'm saying. You're talking about therapy. What I'm talking about is addiction. I'm talking about therapy. No, I'm talking about, I'm talking about therapy for addiction. Okay. Okay. It, it, you, you have to be ready. Mm, Okay. And I do not force, I, I used to, I was talk, going to talk about how I used to work in hospitals and there'd be people coming in there, they'd be drunk, hungover, all of this. And I would talk to them. I would say, do you have a problem with drugs and alcohol? And they would look at me and say, no. And I would say, thank you very much. And I would leave out of there and spend my time on somebody who's wanting treatment. Okay. So, 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 so if they say, no, I don't, it's not my job to convince somebody. You have to be convinced that you want to turn your life around in terms of drugs and alcohol. You can't, no one else can do it for you. Okay. So let me lay this out here. Here's, here's something I've seen work in practice. Not, not as a therapist, I'm not a therapist, but I've seen situations where maybe a person got therapy, not because they believe they have an addiction, but because they know they have a lot of problems. Okay. And so, they, and they, yeah. so they go to therapy, they're talking through their problems. And then they're led to figure out, oh, I think my addiction might be part of the reason I have so many problems, right? Because, you you know, you might have a person who is in a terrible financial situation. Their health is a mess. Their relationships are all shit. And then they realize, oh, when I get drunk, I do stupid things. That's why my life is a mess. So I need to confront the drinking, you know, and I only say that just because I remember at a time in my life, I wasn't, I, I never drank. I never mess with liquor. I, I've seen like when Royce to five nine was talking about taking his first drink at the age of 21 and becoming an alcoholic. I saw guys do that when I was 19, I, I 18. I saw a freshman, a friend of mine, my roommate, who was a good kid, straight A student. And then he, he, he pledged a fraternity and then he started drinking and he's an alcoholic to this day. And um, and and so uh, I, I never had to deal with alcohol. But I remember kind of sitting down and thinking about my life and thinking, man, I'm not happy with my life right now. And what I realized was that I had people in my life that I needed to remove. I had relationships with others that I was kind of used to, maybe not addicted to, but habits that I'd formed in terms of people that I was used to having around where I said, I got to go through my own type of detox, which is to reassess my life, every nook and cranny of it. So I can imagine if your habit is, or like, so, so like food, for example, food is an addiction. A lot of black people have, even if you don't drink or smoke or anything like that. And my addiction was things like unhealthy food. And then I realized, wait a minute, maybe the reason I'm having these other problems is because I have this addiction to unhealthy food. So by confronting this addiction, I can confront the problems and nip them at the butt. So that's what I'm saying. I, I think I, I would imagine somebody could go in and not even know that the addiction is the reason you got all these problems, but still go to therapy. If you got problems, you should be in therapy. If you're not 100% happy with your life, and even if you are, therapy I think is always good because it just helps you understand your, how you how you work a little bit better. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there is some motivational things that you can, motivational tools that you can ask, and different questions that you can ask to get people motivated to go into treatment. But, you know, ultimately, you know, I don't want to be the dead horse, but ultimately it is it is the addicted person that really needs to deal with, uh, with what's happening with them. And yeah, and that's true that some people do go into treatment because a loved one says, hey, we need couples therapy. You know, mm. and they'll bring them in. But that's a really nice way to have yet a third person be able to say, look, you have an addiction. 
you know, what your husband is saying to you, <laughs> you know, makes sense. You have this addiction. So there have been times like that, but ultimately it is the, it is the, up to the person. And the thing is, is that when you take away somebody's addiction through a detox or something, you take away someone's addiction, that's where all the raw feelings come, come about because the addiction remember is an escape mm. from really deep-seated feelings that you cannot deal with. So if you take the addiction away, somebody needs to be there with you to help sort through all of the emotion that's going to come to the surface mm. because you've been living so long masking it and covering it all up mm. with by escaping mentally or escaping through uh, shopping, a retail therapy. <laughs> a lot of people have retail therapy. You're escaping all these other ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That people do. And it's a dopamine rush. Like, oh, I'm going to order that item on Amazon and it shows up at the door and you're like, woo, there's something at the door for me. <laughs> well, it's a dopamine rush. Yeah. Well, I, I do agree. I mean, I, I kind of, I definitely think that that dopamine rush is something that we all dig into, whether it's, you know, what we feel through the food we eat or you know sex or through um you know alcohol drugs i personally kind of think at some point everyone should have i think i think a coping mechanism is okay to some extent as long as it's a healthy one right so if your coping mechanism is i want to get a runner's high by going running you're addicted to running okay that's cool. nothing wrong with that I, i've seen people that are addicted to therapy they're addicted to self-help you know, literally every every morning they get up. Seriously, I think that's okay too, right? Like every morning they'll get up and they uh they will they feel like they need to have some motivation or okay. you know so and and, using, and I don't I don't see that as such a bad a bad well, addiction. What do you're you think? You're using the word addiction, and I don't think that that that's probably the right word. <laughs> what what's the definition of an addiction? I mean, the, the addiction is you can't go without it. You know, where it takes over your okay. life. You can't go to work because you're so busy trying to get your next hit you know you can't take care of your kids <laughs> because you're you're high you're too high you know to be able to give them the attention that they need <laughs> you know so <laughs> that's different from just being addicted to what addicted to therapy like what are you doing paying for therapy 24 hours and you well, can't go to work like well, that- i don't know that <laughs> see i think that that's just a word that's like thrown around <laughs> i don't know if that's like truly rises up to the level of an addiction. Well, let me read the definition of addiction according to the National Institutes of Health. Is that okay? (laughs) That's fine. Okay. The definition of addiction according to the National Institute of Health, since we're talking about uh, what Royce the five nine said, but but I I told you guys, I I like to always bring it back to you. I don't like to just talk about what a celebrity said um, for gossip sakes. I, I'd rather actually have it be a constructive discussion. And, and, you know, my wife is a licensed therapist, a full professor of social work. So I respect her expertise on addiction on uh, in three areas, three things that come to mind. One, uh, you're a therapist. Two, you teach classes, college classes on addiction. Mm-hmm. And three, you're an expert on the subconscious mind, which is heavily, uh, which, which matters quite a bit when you're talking about hip hop, hip hop music, as you've mentioned, you and I've talked about this, uh, it is literally a weapon of mass destruction on the subconscious mind. I mean, hip hop, uh, because it comes to a nice beat, uh, the beat sinks into your subconscious. Next thing you know, you're doing stuff. You don't even know why you're doing it. You're copying lifestyles and you don't even know why you're copying it. And I like what Royce the five nine said. Did you get a chance to hear a lot of his uh, video when I was playing this morning in the bathroom? Uh, no, I didn't. I wasn't paying attention. I was busy doing other stuff, but 
Um, it sounds interesting. I heard a little bit of it when I came. Yeah, you need to hear it because he he was he was very intel he did a very intelligent and articulate uh, breakdown of how the music influences young people and how you know we need therapy and he talked about therapy addiction and and programming. You know, like how the he didn't say it specifically like that, but I I think he was referencing that in terms of how the music will program you. He talked about, um, for example, the crabs in a barrel thing that uh, that happened, you know, that happens in hip hop. He said we were we're so desperate to make it that we just kind of do whatever. You know, we think that we need the drugs in order to be creative. He said that he took his first drink at 21 because Dr. Dre offered it to him. And he was like, oh, well, ah, I want to I want to take the drink from oh, Dr. Dre. On. Yeah. You know what? You just said using that drugs puts you in another altered state where you can be creative. That's real right there. That's mm-hmm. real, boys. Like there are a lot of remember like the jazz musicians <laughs> back yeah. back in the what the sixties or whatever man they were going somewhere else so yeah you know what um, actually yeah those drugs you know the thing is is that you can get to it on your own you don't really need synthetic material to go to another place if you really practice you can get there by yourself but the drugs can get you there faster well i remember knowing oh, yeah <laughs> that, that they really can and i think i i mean drugs are like anything else it's like a shortcut it's a shortcut to getting yeah. to some place that your brain can naturally go because whatever your, the drug is unlocking in your brain you have that in you already you, have the you just <clears throat> it's like i remember noticing guys would drink to be more confident and I remember thinking, I don't need to drink to be more confident because I'm already confident. You know, I, I'd rather be naturally confident than to need liquid courage, right? To hell with that. I don't want no liquid courage. I want solid courage. I want real courage. You know, like I don't want fake courage. I want I want mm-hmm. substantive courage. So so I, I do agree with that. That part I've, I've seen personally. Let me read the definition of addiction. Do me a favor, everybody. Hit the thumbs up button, share, subscribe button. Thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up right now. Uh, I'm talking to my wife, Dr. Alicia Watkins, and uh, we're kind of doing a, <clears throat> a kind of a deeper dive into what Royce to five nine said. I started off playing this video and I had a couple of my points to make, but my wife walked in. And since she's an expert on addiction and therapy and the subconscious mind, <clears throat> all these areas that Royce was bringing up, I thought I would kind of d- dig deeper into that and bring her into the conversation. So, by the way, if you want to follow Alicia, you can follow her on Instagram at Coaching with Dr. Alicia, or you can go to Coaching with Dr. Alicia.com. She does see clients and does a lot of couples therapy and individual therapy, stuff like that. So, feel free to go to her website if you want to learn more. Now, um, the definition of addiction is according to the National Institute of Health is addiction is a term that means compulsive physiological need for and use of a habit-forming substance like heroin or nicotine characterized by tolerance and well-defined physiological symptoms upon withdrawal. It has been used more broadly to refer to compulsive use of a substance known by the user to be, and then I, 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 it cuts off at that point. Yeah, but that well, sounds I like mean, enough. What yeah, do you think? Physiological, I like that because you do need to, de- that's, that's why you have to detox. It's compulsive because you can't stop it. You're also always thinking about it. So it's like, it's compulsive. You can't stop doing it. And it is, um, it is known to be um, common among people who have poor impulse control. (laughs) Mm. Like they need instant gratification. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that definition for sure. The physiological effect is, is really what's key. So it's, and that's the part like, People who drink alcohol, like, you know, they drink it in the morning before they wake up. 
like it's their eye opener they have to have it in the morning or they can't get the day going they start getting real they get tremors if they don't have their substance okay so they become physiologically addicted to alcohol. okay so so i can't so according to this definition by the national institutes of health mm-hmm. that means i can't be addicted to something like religion like we we like we've seen i've noticed a lot of people when they get off of a physical drug they might start going to church. And anybody ever seen somebody who used to be hooked on like crack or heroin and then they started going to church instead? And oh, and, yeah. and now every every other word is like like praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. And it's like they're carrying it, like that, like that's what they're holding on to. I always thought that was a type of addiction. It's not. But they're but they're actually in this definition, they're saying a a habit forming substance, like heroin, they use heroin or nicotine. Um, so if there's no substance involved, no chemical involved, does that mean I can't have an addiction? No, I, what happens <clears> is that, because um, I talked about shopping and I talked about other things, it's, it's what it does to the brain. It Listen, gambling addiction, the what it does to the brain is similar to what an actual substance does to the brain. Mm. So you mimic that in your brain. So I think gambling addiction is would fit that category. It would fit it because mm-hmm. there's, what happens in the brain physiologically in the brain is the exact same thing as if you're taking a substance. Mm, okay. Got mm-hmm. it. Got mm-hmm. it. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so that helps a lot. That helps us understand addiction. And I appreciate that. And, uh, and what I'll do is <clears throat> I'm going to make a couple quick comments on what Royce the five nine said. I was very appreciative of his remarks. I feel like um, he did. I'm, a- I'm going to check on the, Okay, man. Sounds good. Um, it, you know, I, I feel like he laid down the law in a really, really awesome way. Um, I think that he uh, did his job as a black man by giving a perspective that a lot of young people don't get because everybody makes you think that as long as you're getting money, everything's good. As long as you, as long as you paid, as long as the white man's writing you a big check, then you're winning. And uh, and the thing is that uh, in economics, we have this term called the winner's curse. Uh, the winner's curse. I don't know if y'all have ever heard. Give me a yes or no if you've ever heard me use that term, the winner's curse. Um, it's, let me know. Let me know if you've heard of it. The winner's curse basically means that it's a time where you think you won when really you lost. Like you you were cursed because you're the winner. It's like, uh, you know, like you, you're trying to bag this fine, this beautiful, beautiful woman. Right. And you you finally get the girl that you wanted. And you find out that she's a, a gold digger who has 10 STDs and, and some crazy baby daddies. And then next thing you know, your life is a complete mess uh, because you won something, but you got the winner's curse. Like um, that old show, Fantasy Island, where they would give you your wildest fantasy and then it would turn into a nightmare. Well, that's kind of, um, to some extent, what happens, I think, in hip hop. <clears throat> a lot of young guys want to be rappers. Like, that's a big deal. That's something that they dream about. That's that they consider that to be success. So a white man comes along and does what Jerry Heller did with Ice Cube and NWA. And then he says, here's a check. Here's a check for more money than you've ever made in your life. Uh, all you got to do is sign on the dotted line and I'll make all your dreams come true. You'll have uh, you'll have a brand new Mercedes. You'll have a million dollars in the bank. You have all the women that, that, that you want. You will have all the ice that you can carry on your neck and your life will be great. Right. So you think you won. You're like, look, mama, I won. I won. I won. But then you go into this industry where uh, suddenly now you got to have security everywhere you go. Suddenly now you got people threatening your life because of something you said on a record. 
suddenly now you got crazy women scheming nasty women chasing you down everywhere putting you in crazy situations right suddenly now you've got a whole long list of problems that you never had before suddenly now you got problems with the irs because maybe the money wasn't right suddenly now you're in debt to the record label because they didn't tell you that that money was a loan and it wasn't actually uh actually income right so 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 what you find is that you thought you won when really you lost Right. So maybe when I was younger, uh, if you asked me if I thought that it was exciting or a big deal or a great thing uh, to become a successful rapper, I would have said, hell yeah. Hell, oh, man, that's got to be great. That's got to be the life. All the women and the cars and the money and blah, 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 blah. Now, as an older person, I look at it like mm, that's the winner's curse. I wouldn't want to be a rapper. I remember uh, one of the rappers that I helped to put out there on the map. I didn't do this on purpose, but it just happened that way was a rapper by the name of Young M.A. And Young M.A., I put her uh, video when she was unknown. Nobody had signed her. I put her video on my Facebook page. And as and the video went viral next because of her talent, because she's an extraordinarily good rapper. Next thing you know, Young M.A. gets a record deal. She becomes the biggest rapper in New York or one of the biggest. And she's and the rest is history. She's extremely talented and she deserves all that. Now, and I didn't even know that the video had set her off until she kept talking about me and stuff like that in interviews with Vlad and stuff like that. Right. Uh, well, the thing is, though, when I listen to Young M.A.'s music, because I listen to it because it's good, she's talented, uh, and I try to understand where young people are coming from, I see a person who's struggling. I see a person who uh, is usually holding a bottle of Henny when she's rapping. And then uh, so so when I heard th- those conversations about going to rehab, I said, oh, wow, sounds like she's got some challenges. Right. I hear her talk about her trauma. I hear her talk about the drama that comes with being a rapper. I hear her talking about having to carry a, a pistol with her, you know, in order to protect herself, right? And and, and and I see this world where you're going into these seedy clubs where you need weapons for security. You got to constantly watch your back. You can't trust anybody. You got crazy people coming in and out of your life and you're solving all those problems with a bottle of Henny and you're thinking it's okay because somebody's writing you big checks and you got money in the bank when the reality is that the, the true path to happiness, in my view, this is my two cents to everybody that, that wants to listen, is when you are right in your soul, when you can really sleep at night and feel good going to sleep. You know, when, when you're not having nightmares every night, <clears throat> when you're not constantly scared somebody's going to kill you, you're not constantly worried about something bad happening, you're able to just live and exist in peace. You know, peace is, is, is the holy grail, right? A lot of rappers don't have any peace. You know, especially when you're constantly trying to figure out how to stay relevant enough so that you don't lose your one opportunity in order to make money. So uh, I'm not dissing anybody. I'm not dissing young M.A. because I think, again, I reiterate, she's very, very talented. But I did. And I think I I think I said I made her a little bit upset because I asked one basic question. I said, why is it that we feel who taught us that we supposed to use the the beauty of the beautiful talent of hip hop? That extraordinarily God-given talent that we have as a people, our greatest, one of our greatest creative uh, influences in history, hip-hop music, and use it as a weapon of mass destruction. Why must every song start and end with, I want to kill that black man over there and and take him away from his family? Why must every song start and end with, I'm going to pick up this bottle of of Moet and drink it until 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 I, I see the bottom of the glass, right? What, why is it that, the songs have to go into popping pills and 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 carrying a gun and and throwing all my money away and going to see to see Jake the jeweler so I can get the biggest ice and and, and if you you test me I'm gonna kick you in your ass like like that's that's a stressful life 
Like, it doesn't mean you can't be a warrior, but goddamn, most warriors will tell you that, that they don't want to be at war all the time. They don't want to be banging over breakfast. They don't want to wake up having to look over their shoulder, having to sleep with a gun under their pillow. That ain't nothing. That ain't the lie. I mean, people will talk about it like a badge of honor, but that's not a way to live. Nobody, I don't know a single guy. Tell me, seriously, tell, give me a guess. I know if you understand what I'm saying. I don't know a single gangster. I know a lot of guys that, that have killed people and done all kinds of stuff. And I don't know a single one of them who says, oh yeah, that, that was the life, man. That's how I want to live forever. I got kids now. I want, I want people shooting up the house every Tuesday. Like don't nobody want to live like that. They make that into a fantasy because they market this and they market this in a way that makes it look exciting and desirable when really it's not. Your life ain't supposed to be a damn horror movie, right? So, so that's my two cents on the issue. That's what I think. Um, I think that Royce did a great job with this video. I'm very, very proud of him for doing it. I have a tremendous respect for what he said uh, in this commentary. And again, I put a piece of the video up on my Instagram, which is The Real Boyce Watkins. Feel free to follow me on Instagram. Uh, but I encourage you to go to Royce's page as well. I linked to his page from mine where you can go there and you can watch the rest of the video. Uh, I like what the brother had to say. I thought it was worth talking about. That's why I'm talking about it today. So do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button, share, subscribe button. I want to remind you guys uh, that actually hip hop, uh, toxic hip hop, corporatized toxic hip hop. I want to be specific so people don't think I'm talking about hip hop in general. I'm not talking about all rappers. I have a lot of friends that are great rappers. Uh, everybody from D1 across the board, Killer Mike, those guys. I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking about toxic corporatized hip hop, where a corporation has paid you to poison the black community, where a corporation has paid you to promote genocide and death to black people. I'm talking about where a corporation, Apple, Spotify, Universal, Epic Records is paying black men to murder their community. That's what we're going to talk about at the convention. We're going to have a whole panel on this. Sugar T and some other people are going to be on the panel. Akila Nihonda, uh, who's a great rapper, is going to be on. A lot of great people are going to be on the panel. Uh, and we're going to do this at the All Black National Convention. It takes place in Orlando the weekend of October 29th. If you want to come down, I hope you'll come down. It's a great family reunion. You can go to allblacknationalconvention.com. The URL is on the screen. And if you want to get a discounted hotel, there are a few rooms that, that are at a steep discount. You can go to abnchotel.com. The hotel is beautiful. It's called the Omni. It's luxurious. There's nine restaurants. You're going to love it. It's going to be a great time. So anyway, I'm out of here, guys. Please hit the thumbs up, share, subscribe button on your way out. And uh, I will talk to you all soon. Please have a good day. I love you. Peace. Here we are, clan the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now, family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn it to intelligence. Please, none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Boyce TV. Here we are.